All right, I'm going to start at verse 16, and we're going to read all the way through 39. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and he was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they are all amazed, so they question amongst themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, casting out demons. We ended... um, The passage that we covered last week ended with this announcement that Jesus is going to begin preaching and proclaiming this message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then Mark is presenting this this day. It seems uh, like it's meant to be read as one day of events that happens in this seaside town. Jesus is, is from Nazareth, which is Nothing. It's a nothing, nowhere town within uh, walking distance of this place. And we see Jesus call two sets of brothers to come follow him, Simon and Andrew, James and John. And they hear Jesus. They, for whatever reason, recognize something about him. And there's, Mark gives us no details about any kind of prior knowledge of one another. It's possible because these are relatively small towns, Nazareth especially, so it's possible that they they knew of each other um, and they had some prior knowledge, but at this moment they see Jesus recognize something in him for some reason, leave their nets behind and immediately go to follow him. Immediately is Mark's word. You heard him say it over and over and over again, Mark is on a mission, and he's going to move you through that narrative immediately, as quickly as possible. 
And he moves immediately from this seaside calling of two brothers to go start preaching the, the substance of which Mark has already told us what it was. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And there is this demonically possessed guy. And the demon recognizes who Jesus is and cries out in fear and says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus silences him and casts out this demon. And in both, uh, there are two sets of beings here. Both of them behave on its face. Uh, similarly, the disciples hear Jesus' voice, recognize something about him, and obey him immediately. The demons, and there's lots of demons in this passage. There's the initial confrontation, and then Mark goes out of his way to tell you multiple times Jesus is casting out demons, apparently left, right, and center. The demons hear him, they recognize who he is, and they obey him immediately. And everybody in this whole series of vignettes, they recognize that Jesus has a particular kind of authority that is unique and powerful, and they say there's nobody like him. Now, demons, not something that people who show up in a place like this often have much time for. Uh, certainly in the Western world, in Western Europe and North America, the idea of demons is sort of laughable in majority. Um, it seems like a fable of uneducated people because, you know, we have like computers and microscopes and stuff and we can figure out things work and there's no room in the equation for supernatural beings inhabiting the world. And including in churches like ours, middle class, white, Presbyterian churches, ain't nobody coming to church thinking about demons. Most of the time, you're willing to say, I believe the Bible is the word of God. Demons is weird. Uh, I'm glad they're all dead now, and I don't have to worry about demons anymore. There are some churches that you can go to in this valley where demons are very much on the topic of conversation. They're on the table. I grew up in churches like that. Demons were all the time and everywhere. There was a decent chance if you woke up to go in the bathroom in the middle of the night, you would find at least one demon from here to there. There was demons around every corner, under every bed, behind every bush. Most people view those kinds of churches as being odd because demons clearly don't exist. Obviously, we're too smart for that. The problem is twofold. One, if, if we are people, I am, who believes that the scriptures speak authoritatively and, and accurately, you can't get around the fact that that kind of perspective is totally foreign. The, the, Mark doesn't have to step out of his way and say, so here's the thing, demons, they exist. They're real, and here's why. In fact, it would be almost helpful if there was a passage of the Bible that says this is where demons come from. They don't, it doesn't exist. It just says, obviously, there's demons, and Jesus is dealing with them. The, the second problem with this very Western perspective is if you ever leave North America and Western Europe, 
and you go to the rest of the world and say, hey, there's good news. Demons are a fairy tale to help explain things like epilepsy and depression and bipolar condition and things like that. They will look at you as if you have grown a third arm that has sprouted out of the top of your head. Because the rest of the globe says, of course, the world is full of spiritual powers. And of course, they're not neutral. There's good spirits and there's bad spirits. Everybody knows this. You're a weirdo. And that is true. Like, historically and presently, this, this default assumption that the world is closed, that there are no evil spirits, that is a very minority position. It is possible that all of the rich, wealthy, white people of North America and Western Europe are right, and everybody ever, everywhere is wrong. That is possible. There's another possibility, that we are wrong. The biblical perspective is the latter, that we are the wrong ones, that we in fact do live in a world that is not closed off from spiritual things, but is in fact open to it, and it's likely that in a culture like ours, we ought to listen to somebody like C.S. Lewis when he writes the screw tape letters, taking the voice of what it might sound like for a demonic power to talk about strategy. It might be strategically helpful for you and I to be disinclined that demons exist at all. It is perhaps better for their purposes that you never see any evidence of a demon apart from a horror movie. If all you and I live in is a closed world with no supernatural powers, they have cover to do what they prefer. And their pre preference is not necessarily that you would be scared out of your mind about anything and everything, but that, that you would be captive to deception and darkness and never see that you need a way out. Demons are real, and demons face this confronting power of Jesus. The troubling thing is, demons see Jesus accurately. They are right in this story. They are not telling lies about Jesus. In fact, what's troubling is, it seems like for significant stretches of the Gospel of Mark, that all of the Gospels, that the demons actually understand who Jesus is better than everybody else, including those who would follow him. The demons hear Jesus' voice, they recognize who he is, and they obey him. Now, leave aside the demons. And, and for the record, Mark is, is tying up sickness at least probably a little bit, with the demonic. doesn't mean all sickness is a result of demons. But here, when he talks about this story of Simon Peter's mother being healed by a, by a fever, people in this time and place often used fever as code for being probably affected and afflicted by demons. If you read Luke chapter 4, when Jesus heals Peter's mother, it just outright says Jesus rebuked the fever and healed her. So we're going to leave the demons aside and look at this other group of people, which is the disciples. Jesus has a new set of disciples in the Gospel of Mark. 
They are doing their thing. They are doing the thing that every generation before them probably has done. They're, they're doing what they assume their children will do after them. They are fishing, and Jesus comes to them and says, Follow me, and I will turn you from a man who catches fish to a fisherman who catches people, who catches men. And they just do it. They leave their stuff behind. They leave their livelihood. They leave their retirement. They leave their security, their social standing. They leave everything immediately. James and John actually leave their father holding the net. And they just leave and they follow Jesus. They go and do exactly what it is that he has called them to do. So the disciples, they hear they recognize who he is to a degree, and they immediately obey. The disciples have acted this way, and the demons have acted this way. The question is, what is the difference between the two of them? What differentiates them? Now, yes, one is a spiritual being and the other is a human. We get that. We, good job. What other than that, differentiates the two of them. They hear, they recognize, and they obey. This is incredibly important and uncomfortable as a question. It is, it is not just a question from this text. It is a question that pops up in the New Testament later. The writer James is writing to uh, various scattered groups of, of Christians, probably of Jewish origin, and he is telling them why their lives ought to demonstrate evidence of transformation uh, as they claim to follow Jesus. And he anticipates their objection that they have good theology, they know exactly who Jesus is. And James tells them in James chapter 2, yeah, so do the demons, the demons also confess that Jesus is Lord. So what is the difference between you and them? He says there ought to be something that flows out of that confession that demonstrates your right relationship to it. The difference between demons and disciples is not just clear and adequate theology. It is not just clear and correct ideas. If Jesus is only a set of propositions for which you to pass a theology test, that you can feel good about putting all of the right answers on the Bible test, that is not what differentiates demons and disciples. And that is a troubling observation from Scripture for people who very often do exactly this, who spend a lot of time hearing Jesus' voice, who appear to obey him and have right theology about him. And I'm, I'm not here this morning to get anybody sort of anxious about whether you are in fact a demon or, or whether you are totally unbeknownst to you, possessed by a demon. But I am asking you, what's the difference between you and them? At the heart of this visibly same response is a heart disposition that is radically different. Listen to how the demon responds to Jesus. He cried out, 
What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? The demon recognizes who Jesus is and is terrified of him. The demon rightly sees the attributes of who Jesus is, and there is nothing there except terror and fear about who Jesus is and and an unspoken and unstated opposition to what Jesus is doing, or else why would you be afraid at all? The heart of the demonic is opposition and fear and antipathy towards God. What is the heart of a disciple? The heart of the disciple is joyful surrender. It is, in fact, the fulfillment of Jesus' greatest command, which is to love him. The disciple hears what is going to be required of them by the master and is delighted to respond. Jesus tells his disciples what the greatest commandment is, what the thing is that the master has for the disciples. And first and foremost, it is to love the Lord your God with everything that you have. Every part of your being, love him. That's actually what God wants from you. And so therefore, you need not be afraid. There's no terror that you need have of him. The disciple hears that invitation and responds in joy. The demon sees the approach and responds in terror because of what he will not give. The demons leave these stories always, ever, only as demons. The crowd stands and watches and has an invitation. Which way will you respond to Jesus? If you are a church person who is relatively morally upright, who has had enough Sunday school or sermons preached at you, and all Jesus ever is to you is an accessory and ornament to your life, All he ever is, is the one to not anger. Then your theology is much closer to the demonic than you might realize. Now, if you hear that and your response is immediately, I am now afraid, more afraid than I ever have been. You need to understand who Jesus is. Jesus approaches these disciples at the Sea of Galilee where they are and for who they are. These guys are not theological, moral geniuses. They're normal people. He's way up in Galilee, way apart from education and power and everything else that would mark out important people. He doesn't go to all the power holders. He goes to normal people. And he comes to them in the middle of what they are doing. They're not out looking for him. He is out looking for them. He comes to those kinds of people. And he doesn't say, you have to be perfect, perfect, perfect. Then you can come follow me. He says, come follow me now. 
And their response is joyful surrender. So if you are figuring out, my goodness, I've only ever treated Jesus as an idea. I've only ever treated Jesus as a religion. I've only ever treated Jesus as this theological system by which I can make myself feel better. I'm not quite sure that I am I've ever been much different than a demon. There is good news for you. Jesus has come today to you and for you. And if you are here today and you are hearing this news, you're hearing this truth that the thing that the master wants of you is to love him. That's what he wants. And you're saying, I have tried the loving thing for so long. I don't know if I'm a disciple. My heart is so tired. I remember when I used to love. And now I just barely attend. I don't even know if Jesus would want somebody like me anymore. One of these disciples, John, has a word for you. John says, we love because he loved us first. And if you are in a position as a disciple where you are saying, I have, I have run out of love. I am not here today to tell you, just do it. Just flex those spiritual muscles and generate some love. Just do it. What I'm telling you is that Jesus, the very same Jesus who came to the Sea of Galilee for Simon and Andrew and James and John before they even knew who he was, is the Jesus who will come to you today, right now. It is not for one time that was true that Jesus loved first so you would love in return. It is for every moment of your life as a disciple with him. If your love has grown cold and you have grown weary in following Jesus, Jesus loves you first so that you would ever and only love him in response. The difference between you and a demon is that you don't have to be afraid of him. If you are a disciple who is here today and saying, I've been holding on to my nets, I've been holding on to my systems of security and self-definition for a long time, my love has grown cold. He's here for you. He loves you. And Jesus has this message for you. This is the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Is here for you. Turn around and believe. Come home. And if you are here today and you have, you've realized I've never entered in. I've been in the room. I've been around. I've been a good person. I'm cool with Jesus, the idea, but I've never heard his voice like this. There is good news for you.
the kingdom of God is at hand for you. Repent, turn around, and come in. Believe in this, the good news of Jesus. The difference between the disciple and the demon is in this moment here. And Jesus has the authority to deliver you from the domain of darkness and into his marvelous light. And of him you need not be afraid. Throw wide your arms and receive and give back the love of God, which is for you in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your loving kindness towards us. God, I thank you that you, you came in authority and in power. That heaven and earth and everything under the earth is under your hand. And God, we pray that you would disarm, disintegrate the powers of darkness arrayed against us. Father, I pray for everyone who has been prey and captive to those lies. God, I pray that their eyes would be fixed on you and finally today they would see a revelation of goodness that provokes joy and love from them. And Father, I pray for those who've been walking with you, trying to walk with you a long time, who've, who've wandered, who've grown cold, who've wondered if they've wandered beyond the bounds of what discipleship can look like, God, I pray that they would see you coming towards them on the shore of their life. And they would see that you have not run out of goodness even for them. And Jesus, would you speak loud and clear to hearts who are troubled and weary. And may that good news of the kingdom's coming ring loudly as truly good for us and all who hear it. Jesus, we love you and we are so grateful that you've loved us first. You have set your people free. And for that, we are so, so glad. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.